book of Job is kind of a complicated book, and it's one of the books of the Bible that many people who have been believers for years and years can sometimes still wrestle with. And I had someone in my church ask me if I would do a sermon about Job and the book of Job. So I was going through it this week, and as I was going through, I decided that rather than doing a sermon on Job, I was going to do a series on Job, because there's a lot of things in Job to unpack. So that's what I'm going to be doing today, is beginning a new series about lessons that we can take from the book of Job. So in case you're not familiar with the story of Job, let me give kind of a brief summary of what happens. The book of Job is about the man Job, and Job was a righteous man who served God. He was very blessed. God had blessed him and his family because of how faithful Job was to God. And so because of this, it talks about a scene in heaven where all of the angels assemble before God, and Satan goes to this meeting and talks to God about Job. And God is praising Job about Job's faithfulness to him, and Satan kind of challenges God, saying, well, don't you think he's only serving you because of the ways that you have blessed him? And I bet if you took all of that away from him, that he would reject you. And God basically says, okay, you're on, and he allows Satan to take from Job uh, the things that God has blessed him with. So he begins by uh, taking away all of Job's livestock um, and his children as well. And all of his livestock, which was his uh, well-being in that day and age, you know, any kind of wealth you had usually was less of gold and more of uh, livestock that you had because that was what allowed you to live a blessed and uh, very fruitful life. And so Satan took the livestock away from Job, and he even took the children that Job had away from him. And Job had seven sons and three daughters, and they were all killed on this one dreadful day. And Job still refuses to reject God after he has lost all of this. So Satan goes back to God and then gets permission to attack Job's health. And so Job's body becomes completely covered in painful sores, and yet Job still does not reject God. And most of the book of Job from then on after, and really the big chunk of the book of Job, is when Job's friends then come and sit with him and discuss Job's situation. And after they've talked through it quite a bit, eventually God speaks up and he restores Job. He takes away the boils that are covering his skin, and he blesses Job with even more than he had before he was attacked by Satan. So that's really the whole story of Job. And a lot of Christians struggle with that because they wonder why God would allow Satan to attack Job in such a dreadful way. And so as we go through this series, I'm going to kind of unpack that question of why God allowed it to happen and what it means by us even asking that question. So to start with today, I want to begin 
by talking about Job himself and the different ways that he was righteous, the things that he did to make himself right in God's eyes, because there's a lot that we can learn from Job in the things that he did right before all of this ever happened, and even in the middle of it, how he still uh, refused to reject God. But I'm also going to show today how Job was still not perfect. So let's get into this. Let's start with the way that Job was a righteous man. See, he lived a very righteous life. And we see in Job chapter 31, when he makes the case for his innocence and all of the ways that he is blameless. And he lists quite a few things in that chapter, including that he does not look lustfully at women, that he speaks honestly, he doesn't boast about his wealth to other people, he doesn't curse others, he also shares the food that he has with other people who are hungry, and he uses his own sheep's wool to make clothes for other people. So we see here that Job abstained from many things that we would call wicked. He didn't lie. He was not lustful. He wasn't proud about the wealth that he had obtained. And that was part of what led to Job having a righteous life. But then you get towards the end of that chapter where he's talking about sharing his food with people who are hungry and using his sheep's wool to clothe others. And that shows us that not only did Job just abstain from evil things in his life, but he also went the extra mile in helping other people out as well. So he wasn't just concerned about staying away from bad things. He also used his life to do good things and to love other people. And that was also a part that led to Job having a righteous life. And we see that through some of the other things that he did. For instance, in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, we see that he actually makes sacrifices for his children, and not like personal sacrifices, but animal sacrifices for him or for all of his children. This is Job 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. So regularly, he would do this. Regularly, he would make animal sacrifices to pay for the price of his children's sins, even if he wasn't sure whether or not they had, just to make sure that it was covered. He wanted to do everything he could, go the extra mile to make sure that his children were okay, which that can only make you imagine how much more difficult it was for him when he lost all of his children in Satan's attack. But that was something he did. Another thing that we see about Job that shows us he helped other people out is that he was commended by those around him. We see this in chapter 29, verses 7 through 17, where Job says, When I went to the gate of the city and took my seat in the public square, the young men saw me and stepped aside, and the old men rose to their feet. The chief men refrained from speaking and covered their mouths with their hands. The voices of the nobles were hushed, and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouths. Whoever heard me spoke well of me, 
and those who saw me commended me, because I rescued the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had none to assist them. The one who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart seen. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fanes of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. So here we see that Job was not only nice to those around him and that he treated his family well, but everyone in the town that he lived, the whole city, knew who Job was because of the way that Job had treated them kindly, treated them with love. Everybody knew who he was and respected him. He was commended by all of them. But that didn't just apply to the people in his own city. So not only was Job loving to his family, not only was Job loving to the people in his city, but it went beyond that. When one of Job's friends speaks up, we see that Job's assistance of others went even further. This is in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. It says, Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But how can you keep from speaking? Think how you have instructed many, how you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees. Now this is coming from Eliphaz, Job's friend, who was not an Israelite. So he wasn't someone that lived in the city. He was someone that had traveled from afar to come and meet with Job because of the friendship that they had. And even this foreigner in the land pointed out how kind Job was to those around Eliphaz. So we see Job abstaining from evil things in his life, and him also helping out others, both in his family, in his city, and even to those outside of the city. Everyone who met Job loved him. Everyone who met Job respected him because of the kind of life that he, li- that he lived. And man, I could only imagine setting that high of a goal for myself people would see me the way they treated Job because I would treat them the way that Job treated them. And it wasn't just that Job treated them well because they treated Job well. And we see this because as Job continues this discussion with his friends, that his friends aren't very kind to him. They aren't very friendly, and they make a lot of accusations against Job, and we'll get into those accusations next week. But they're tearing Job down, accusing him of things he hasn't done. During this time when Job is in great suffering and mourning all that he has lost, they're making accusations against him, and they're calling for him to admit something that is not true. And despite the way that they are treating him, Job says this in chapter 27, verses 5 and 6. He says, I will never admit you are in the right. Till I die, I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. So Job didn't just 
act in a way that he knew other people would like. He acted in the way that he knew was right, that he knew was righteous, that was according to God's will. That was the way that Job lived. And in that, he lived a very righteous life and really sets a great example for all of us to follow as well. And Job not only maintained that righteousness when things were going well, but even after Satan comes and attacks him, takes away all that he has, even takes away his health, we see that he refused to reject God, even when others who were there wanted him to. Right after Job has lost everything, lost all his livestock, all of his children, even his health, he still had his wife who was there. But his wife was not very supportive. We see this in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So even his wife, the woman that he loved more than anyone else, when she saw her husband suffering in this way, encouraged him to curse God and die. But he would not do so. He realized that God was so much greater than his current situation. And I love how, what he says here. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Do we only love God when he treats us well, when he gives us everything that we want, when he makes our life comfortable, or do we continue to serve him during the difficult times as well? And we'll get more into that in later weeks, but that's really the essence of the message that we should receive from Job. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? But even when his wife was urging him to reject God, to curse God, he still wouldn't. And we see that his conviction only grows from there. In chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, he says, Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me, to let loose his hand and cut off my life. Then I would still have this consolation, my joy and unrelenting pain, that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. So here we're seeing that Job is not perfect. He is dealing with all of this, and even though he has said, shall we accept good from God and not trouble, that not only is he saying that to his wife, he's saying that just as much to himself. Because in these verses, we see in him a temptation to reject God because of the suffering. And so he says, oh, how much I would rather God just strike me down now so that I could die with the consolation of knowing that I didn't let this bitterness grow 
into a rejection of God. He could feel that temptation, but he was fighting it off. He did not want to let himself get to that point and said he would rather die than deny God's words. What a powerful statement that is. And Job, like all of us, he was wondering why this was going on. And the attitude that he approaches that with is also well. Because we see in chapter 6, verse 24, he says, Teach me, and I will be quiet. Show me where I have been wrong. So Job wants to understand what he is being punished for. What has he done that has brought on this suffering? Because if it's something in his life that he can fix, something that he can correct, then that's what he wants to do. He wants to make his life right with God again. But he's not refusing to accept what God has done. We see that in chapter 9, verse 14, where he says, How then can I dispute with him? Talking about God. How can I find words to argue with him? So he's asking these questions. How could I possibly argue with what God has decided to do? God has allowed me to be blessed, and he has allowed me to lose what he has blessed me with. God is so great, so powerful. How could I argue with him about it? Because even though Job didn't understand why it was happening, he still accepted that God was in the right because God is God. And we see that again in chapter 28, verse 23, when he's talking about wisdom. He says that God understands the way to it, talking about wisdom, and he alone knows where it dwells. So only God has the kind of wisdom to fully understand why anything in the world happens. And we can try to strive for it. We can try to strive for understanding. And sure enough, we can gain some small pieces of understanding and wisdom. But it pales in comparison to the wisdom of God. And this is really a testament to the faith that Job had as he went through this difficult time. That although he was losing all that he had, Although he was in anguish, he still recognized that God was on the throne, that God was the creator of all, the ultimate authority, and he had no right to reject what God had placed in his life. Who was he to question the wisdom of God? But now we move to the part where Job's righteousness fails. Because although he speaks about how he cannot reject what God has given him, that he does reach a point through this time where he wants answers. 
He wants to know why God has allowed this to happen. Like many of us who read Job, we want an explanation, and Job wants an explanation because he believes that he has done nothing wrong, that he doesn't deserve what he is going through at this time. We see this in chapter 23, verses 1 through 7. It says, Then Job replied, Even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No, he would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before him, and there I would be delivered forever from my judge. So Job, despite not rejecting what has happened, he doesn't deny it, and he doesn't curse God because of it, but he does get to this place where he begins to question the validity of it. Now, he still believes that God is righteous, that God is without fault, and he is so certain of his blamelessness. He is so certain that he has not done anything to deserve what God is doing to him. That he is saying, if I could find where God is, I could bring my case before him, I could argue my case against him, and God would see that what is happening to me right now is wrong, and he would correct it. And this is where we see the beginning of Job's failure. That he does still agree that God is in control, God is blameless, God is pure, God is all-powerful. You cannot stand against God. You cannot reject God. But he does begin to question why it's happening and wants to make his case before God almost as though he believes that a mistake has been made and he wants God to correct it and believes that if, if God could only understand what was happening and how he didn't deserve what was happening, that God would correct it. And this questioning that he has about it goes even further. We see this in chapter 7, verses 17 through 21. Job says, What is mankind that you make so much of them? that you give them so much attention that you examine them every morning and test them every moment. Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? If I have sinned, what have I done to you, you who see everything we do? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more. So here Job is highlighting how insignificant mankind is compared to the almighty God. And he wonders why. Why is God, who is so great, so infinite, bothering 
with someone like him and treating him in this way. He's asking the question, why doesn't God just look the other way and forgive me? What could I possibly do that would have an impact on the Almighty God? What sin could I even have that would warrant God being so upset by it, hating it so much that he would treat me to such a harsh degree? Why why is God doing this? Why is God bothering with me? Why can't he just look the other way and ignore whatever has happened? I don't even know what I have done. I, if I knew that I've done something to deserve this, I would correct it. But I, I'm a blameless man before God. I've stated the case of my innocence. So why is God not either telling me what I have done wrong so I can fix it? Or why isn't he just looking the other way? Isn't there so much more to God? Why is he being bothered by whatever it is that I have done? And so this does lead him to him demanding an explanation from God. In chapter 10, verse 2, he says, I say to God, do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. So now he is saying, God, you owe me an explanation. See, Job's sin continues to grow. Now, two things can be true at once. So we see here that Job is not rejecting God and who he is. He's not saying that he will no longer serve God. He's not, you know, he's rejecting the notion of even cursing God. He won't do that. He will not stand in opposition to God. He will not reject God. He will continue to live with God. And in that, he is doing no wrong. But then he goes further and says, what's happening is wrong. What God is doing is wrong. Or at least he owes me an explanation for what he's doing. And he begins to question the justice of God and demand an explanation from him. And that is where we see Job not doing the right thing in this book. And not only does he take it with his own situation, but now he takes it beyond just his situation in the way that God's justice works overall. In chapter 21, verse 7, he asks the question, Why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? Which is a question I think that many believers have asked. Why is it that those who lie and cheat and steal still prosper? Why is that, God? That's the question that Job asks. Why? Why is this happening? Give me a reason. Give me an explanation. I serve you, so you owe me an explanation for what you do and why you do it the way you do. And he even goes a step further in chapter 24, verse 1, and asks, Why does the Almighty not set times for judgment? Why must those who know him look in vain for such days? So now he's saying, you know what, God? 
not only am I going to question why you're doing what you're doing, but I'm going to give you this suggestion that you should be doing this instead. You should have set days of judgment to strike down wicked people. Instead of having your focus turned on me, who as far as I know have led a blameless life, I have done everything right, I've made extra sacrifices for my children, I have served you in such a way and cared for others in such a way that they all commend me and respect me and appreciate all the things that I've done for them, and even as I'm going through this difficult time and my friends are giving me bad advice, I won't let them erode my integrity I will continue to stand for you. I have done everything right. I am your righteous follower. And because of that, you owe me an explanation. You should be doing this instead. You should be listening to me or ignore me altogether or let me die and I can move on past all of this. So now Job has failed. Because what he has done is he has placed so much emphasis on his own righteousness, his own blamelessness, that his faith is no longer in God, it is in his own life. He has not rejected God. He has not said that he will curse God. He will not live in opposition of God. He's not going to, to, to deny that what God is doing comes from God. But he's begun to question the justice of God. And this should be a warning for each and every one of us. That we do not place our faith in our own righteousness. That we do not think that God owes us anything because our very life is a blessing from him. And if God did give us what we were owed, that would be the price of our sin, which is death. That is what God owes us. But because of his love for us, he gave his son as a sacrifice to die for our sins so that we don't have to receive what we're owed. That God can pay that price and gives it as a gift for anyone who is willing to accept Him and that price of salvation, that price that has been paid. And for any of us to then go forward in that mercy that we've received, that we don't have to pay the price of our sin. And the grace we've received from God, which is every single breath we take, every day we're allowed to live, to take all of those things from God and then to say, well, just because I've done such a good job that I am now owed something more from God? That is not what being a follower of Christ should look like. Job lived a very righteous life, a very good, godly life that we can learn from. But herein lies a mistake that Job made for us to be careful of.
that we do not think ourselves as greater than what we are. That we do not think that God owes us anything. But remember the question that Job did ask. Should we accept good from God and not bad? Should we accept good from God and not trouble? Are we going to question it or are we going to accept it? That's the first lesson that we learn from Job dealing with his own life. So that's the first part of this series. I encourage you to come back in the next couple weeks as I talk about the different uh, lessons that we can learn from Job and some of the bad lessons that his friends have for us and lessons about how the justice of God works and what our position needs to be when it comes to God. So I hope you'll come back for that. I pray that this has been meaningful to you. If you have any comments or questions about anything I've talked about, I encourage you to contact me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page or email me at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And I encourage you to share this with family and friends and on social media to help get the message out there. So until next time, this has been another Sermon in the Pocket, and I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day.